This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio by Evan Grant. Say hi, Evan. Hello, Kevin. Uh, that's enough. And uh, David Moore. Hi, David. Hello, Kevin. Oh, do I get to say hello to David, no, too? No, you do not. Oh. It's not worth it. A, what? What? A plus I'm B. not worth it. Is that what you said? <laughs> oh, I said, no, you do not. I, I, I didn't say oh, it was not worth it. When you people are hearing things <laughs> that are not being spoken, I'm glad you're using tape recorders. Uh, Should we use what? hand signals instead? Wow, that's right. So we're going to talk about the what's going on uh, in baseball. Uh, and that was I was a little stunned by that. Evan was not. Evan and I corresponded. Evan was driving back from San Antonio from his uh, uh, his wild tour of uh, Texas, his Texas tour. My Texas tour. Yeah, he had a lot of fun doing that. Enchanted Whiskey Rock. with a former. Uh... What's that? Yeah, it, it, we, we, that was. <laughs> I tell you what, that was that was a real highlight. We the very quick itinerary. Enchanted Rock climbed to the top of that, which I don't know how I made to the top of. Uh, we did the Willow City Loop on David's mm-hmm. recommendation. We uh, did two nights in Fredericksburg. We went to Bandera. We went to Lost Maples Park and hiked in there. And if you haven't hiked there, I highly recommend it. Uh, and then we had uh, cocktails. After, we did a wine tasting at William Chris, David's yeah. recommendation. Wow. Then we had whiskey uh, with Gloria Campos <laughs> in Blanco. And then Gloria gave us a tour of her house, which is lovely. And she's got on the wall a David Tarrant story from High Profile really? from all those years ago. Wow. Um, and then, so they uh, live in Blanco now? They live in Blanco, yeah, um, on the top of a hill. Really gorgeous. Uh, and then we went to San Antonio for two nights. And uh, I ate some great barbecue in Heiko at Poe Campo Barbecue, which I highly recommend. Yeah. You didn't yeah. go to the coffee cup, though. We didn't go to the coffee cup. Um, which used to be the coffee cup cafe. Yes. But, 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 but big part of why we didn't go to the coffee thankfully cup. Thankfully, they did, they did uh, rebrand themselves. And yeah. uh, we ate at Smitty's, an old-time favorite in Lockhart, which oh. I had never been to. So yeah. um, that was the highlights of that. And while I was driving back, well, all of – all heck – broke loose because i'll never cuss on the podcast oh no that the weather yeah we were we were driving we we drove we drove to arkansas to deliver my daughter's car that's a long story i won't bore y'all with but uh but we were i told debbie on friday we need to leave by 9 30 at the latest here to try to beat this storm and and while we were we, we made it it was really no problem anywhere but while we were on the 49, if you come off of I-40 and you take 49, it takes you on into Fayetteville. It's a 45-minute beautiful drive. Right up through the mountains. Through the mountains. They're really beautiful. Um, but 
that's when all the tornado oh. watch sirens are going off. And you know, you're driving in an area where there's hardly if any you can't, Yeah, where are you going to Yeah, There's no place Pull to over. go. And, and so Debbie's at one point. She's in the other car. Let I'm me, driving. Let me get my, under this tree. My truck. And she <laughs> says, should we get off? And I said, there's no place to get off, sweetheart. Just keep driving. I said, I'm looking. I'm looking for any spouts out here anywhere, and nothing, nothing formed. And we just, and we just. So you were a storm hunter. We were a storm hunter, Uh, but nothing, nothing happened. But that was a little, that was a little crazy, a little stupid. All right, and that's what we've got to say about baseball, folks. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming. Uh, No, we had, but the stunning news that uh, not only were um, Jeff Lunau and uh, uh, AJ Hinch, the general manager and manager of the Astros, suspended for a year by uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred. Uh, then Jim Crane, the owner, went ahead and fired both of them, which uh, probably was the right thing to do, uh, considering the fact that what are you going to do for a whole year, not have these guys, and then you're going to bring them back, bring up all these questions again about what happened. You, you might, as well go ahead, might as well go ahead and distance yourself from all of this uh, and move on. I think that Jim Crane did the right thing. I, I, I think as a result of that, I can't ever see A.J. Hinch being a manager in the big leagues again. Uh, I think his career is done. Uh, and, that, and we'll talk about why. one of the reasons why that might be. I do think that Jeff Lou now will get another job. Uh, see, I, I'm, I'm the other way. Really? I because, think that, because here's the thing. Because the commissioner didn't find that Jeff Lou now had done anything. He didn't even, Didn't absolve him, but he, didn't absolve but he him. said, yeah. He didn't say he, he knew about it or anything. He just said, you should have known about it. You're the general manager. You're in charge. Which, you know, I got to admire the, the commissioner taking that stance. Uh, is that so many times you see people trying to get around this whole thing by saying, well, he didn't know about it, so what the heck. Uh, the deal is you are in charge. You are the general manager. It is, it is your organization. And, uh, and so we're, we're making this move. Um, I just think he's so good. Uh, he's such a great general manager. He's, he's a bad guy, but he is a great general manager. And and I think that some team, some organization will say, "You bet, we're going to take this this I, chance." I would say this: he's a smart guy. Um, I don't know that I would pass judgment that he's a great general manager. He certainly, you know, found a, res- a, a, a recipe that led that team to a World Series. Which now we've got questions about. It's um, been to two World Series. They've been to two Worlds, uh, one World Championship. Yeah. Um, but uh, he is so disliked throughout the game. And oh, yeah. I think that the comments that, uh, that Rob Manfred made yesterday about the culture in the Astros front office and the statement that Luno has to go through what amounts to some, um, people management training yeah. in with major league baseball during the next year. Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for him to get a job. I also go back and I look at the two statements that were made, and the statements are all, you know, they're 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 not crafted by the individual most of the time. They're crafted either by an attorney or or, or a public relations firm. Um, but in AJ's statement, there was uh, at least some degree of contrition uh, for for the lack of of. Uh, foresight the lack of over the lack of oversight, oversight on this whole yeah. thing um and luno's statement basically said yeah it was a bunch of low-level employees and i'm not a cheater <laughs> yeah. um so yeah. I, it uh but i don't expect anything less from him no but i this is what you get with luno and and the question is and i also think that if somebody decides they want to hire jeff luno as a gm while there's no implicit ban mm-hmm. 
I think they're going to have to go to Rob Manfred or whoever the commissioner is at that point in time and make their case. There might be a show cause thing, uh, and, and, I, and I think that certainly could happen. I'm just saying that he's a difference maker. I don't know that A.J. Hinch is a difference maker. I thought he was a good manager for the Astros. He did a good job, uh, smart guy, uh, seemed to handle things well, and that's a very – when I say volatile in reference to the Astros, they're, they're good guys. It's just a emotional bunch. I, I, it was one of the things that I didn't like about the Astros is that – they're too emotional. You know, I, I just always felt like that this is a team, and then they then they go into games and they would get a lead. They're all really high, and then and then as the game would, would wear on, that's when they were struggling. Certainly that showed itself in the in the World Series and the playoffs. Uh, at any rate, I thought that he did a pretty good job of, of controlling all that. But, you know, let's just get right to the heart of the whole issue with A.J. Hinch was that uh, what Rob Manfred's investigation found was that Alex Cora, who was then the bench coach for the Astros. And let me just say that nobody looks worse in this investigation than Alex Cora. And I think and will that, get, yeah. Oh, he's done. And, and I think that when the separate investigation on the Red Sox charges, which is still in, in, in the process, uh, when that is finalized, and that all regards 2018, I think now you've set a precedent with the Hinch suspension. And I think that, that Cora is going to get, at the very minimum, an indefinite suspension in which it will be he's suspended for at least a year mm-hmm. and he can reapply at the end of that year. But it could go further than that. Well, now you've been involved in two scandals. Correct. And, and, and two World Series that and now. And, and, and here's what I don't get is that now, now you can tell me if I'm wrong, which you usually do. Uh, Alex Cora has always come across as a really sensitive kind of uh communicative guy you know that that was certainly the what you got from that winning that world series with the red sox in his first year as manager just a really really great guy that the rangers interviewed him for for the job they interviewed him when jeff banister got the job and there were people who thought he probably should have gotten the job over jeff banister um you know the story of the red sox was how great he communicated with the red sox and it became about all the pictures that were posted after every win um, and in retrospect, the way the report came out from Major League Baseball, and again, we should emphasize that players were basically given immunity here to, to, to right. throw people under the bus, and they certainly threw uh, Alex Cora under the bus. And, and so I think that uh, he's, he's going to suffer the consequences of that. And Carlos Beltran. As, uh, and as and well. that's an interesting tack because, you know, Beltran was at that point in time a player. Well, he's yeah. now a manager, mm-hmm. and – uh, the players the were given immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't. There is no managers' union. You know, right. there is there is nothing that would stop Rob Manfred from from imposing discipline on Beltron if he wanted to. Uh, I'm sure Carlos could then try and you know Take litigate that out, sure. and all of that would drag on. But if you, you I, I think mm-hmm. it would have been well within. Rob Manfred's rights to say at this point in time, yeah, the, you were a player then, but now you're a manager, and I can take that right away from you. I was surprised in some of the reactions. The, the, the column I wrote on, on Twitter certainly was. Well, well you, your point, your, your biggest issue on that whole thing, it seemed like, was that you thought that A.J. came across as exceptionally weak for not, for not explicitly saying, stop this crap. Yeah, well, sure. Because here's, here's the thing. It was a very passive-aggressive approach. It was like, I knew this was going on. I I destroyed the equipment. 
but uh, I didn't. I didn't just say, "Hey, knock it you're off." You're the manager, oh. and, and 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 in essence, you're going. Well, I I guess it's. I, I'm not going to tell you it's okay to take these signs, but I mean, if you get them, I, mean, I don't really like it. But I mean, if it helps, I mean, it's yeah. just that that is such a that is the antithesis of a a strong manager. Right. I mean, well, there's just no doubt about that. But I also I I also have I. I hate to be the conspiracy theorist guy, right? Mm-hmm. But I still, I still feel like. Don't be the conspiracy theorist guy. I, I still feel like Jeff Luno and other men, members of management knew more than they have let on. And I think that there was some degree of a manager is always really a middle manager in baseball. Sure. And I think there was some level of pressure there that. Yeah, you can't really say don't do it, but at the same time, you don't want your guys to do it. So what do you do? You you break the screen. I'm not giving. It's not an excuse. No, but here, here's there are some I, principles you got to stand up for. Right? I I alluded to the old Southwest Conference in my thing about the fact that the that this could listen. If you think the Astros and the Red Sox are the only ones trying to do this kind of thing, you're crazy. There's certainly this is going to go around baseball, and there's going to, there should be more investigation. I don't know if there will be or not. They may the, the, the commissioner's office may feel like you know what we're going to do here. The two teams that's really come out about we're going to bust them, bust them big time, and that'll be enough. And we don't have to do this wide ranging kind of investigation into the rest of baseball. Make the deterrent strong enough and. You know, you and, and here's the thing, right? So in 17, the Astros won the World Series. In 18, Boston won the World Series. And does anybody else really care who was cheating if it didn't really get them anything, right? Yeah, probably probably so. I mean, at the at the end of the day, if, if, if the Rangers were cheating in 2017 and 2018, here's what I would say. Cheat better, guys. Yeah, they're not very good at it. Um, but I, I think that's... That is, you take those circumstances where you punish teams that actually gained from the cheating and you make the deterrent strong enough that nobody goes down that road again, and for a while you will stop it. But as long as technology is as pervasive as it is in Major League Baseball, you will continue to run into different schemes because I think and, and this is where I'm at after 24 hours of trying to digest this and talking to a number of people. There's the element of guys who have who have run who have started to run the game. You know, we all go towards analytics and business decisions and all of that, and we're bringing a business school mentality here. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that is as somebody used the words to describe Jeff Luno, very binary. There's only two ways. Either it helps me or it does not. Not it, it. Not that I want to beat you on the field of competition and that I'm looking for edges to beat you, but that it helps me or it does not. And I think there is a difference here in some of that element that has come in from the business world and how they approach things and guys who have come up through the quote-unquote baseball business and are more of a mind to, I want to compete. I want to beat you by competing. Eh, I don't know about that because, because there'll always be some bending of the rules, some looking for edges. But I think that where the gray area ends and the black and white starts is the difference between because you, well, the other is a more the other is a moral determination. If mm-hmm. you're a competitor and you're cheating to win, and you look at it from a competitive standpoint, then that's called, you're a cheater. That's called gamesmanship, though, in baseball. 
It's, well, it's scuffing the baseball. But again, it, the it, business it guys are just, you're right. Business guys are like, this information's out there. This is not. Yeah. Right. I, I think that, I, I don't know. Bu- I, business guys are more along the lines of the risks. It's not a moral. The, the rewards outweigh the risks here. Yeah. As, as, as the husband and father of business people, I don't want, I don't want to throw business <laughs> no, people under no, no. the bus here. But you said I, this to us before. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you said you despise business hey, how, people how about, in that mindset. How about the fact that in 1951, the Giants have copped to the fact that uh, when they won that pennant and, and Bobby Thompson hit that home run, that they had uh, guys, they had uh, telescopes in center field from their offices stealing signs. So, and and I, I, here's – I'm not condoning sign stealing in any way, and but we all know that this has gone on for forever in baseball. Sure, absolutely. The, the difference here now is um, a team – the Giants were playing the Dodgers at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And the Dodgers certainly could have insta- instilled somebody in the in the center field bleachers at the Polo Grounds with a white towel and a pair of binoculars as well. When you the got, Indians also did this as well, right? Yeah. When you've got a dedicated um, fiber optics line that is taking a camera feed to your dugout, and the opponent doesn't have that ability, that that's when you've gone from that very gray and shady area to a black and white area. No, that that's absolutely right, and that and that's uh, that's my point. But I want to go back to to the whole AJ Hinch thing because very, very quickly, let me say one before I forget this. Uh, <laughs> different sports look at this differently. NBA, they're scouted so thoroughly, and it's in a more open environment. Every time any team calls a play, the defense knows exactly what is going to be run. Yeah, sure. So I mean, it, it's it's just an interesting contrast to me because. Uh, just through scouting, you come to learn all that in the NBA. Now, again, it's different spatially, and and sure. I get all that. But you're talking about the same thing, really, in, in baseball. It's the implementation of that particular sequence. Mm-hmm. And in in baseball, it's like well, it's taboo. That that's to be you know that you can't well, pick up on those versus NBA, where like well, it's just all out in the open. This is called scouting. And I mean, you know, the one thing I've always wondered about, right? In the NFL, you've got whether it's coordinator or in college football, you've got coordinators or coaches in a box above the above the field of play, watching tendencies mm-hmm. with with communication uh, and communicating with the coaches on the sidelines yeah. in real time. Yes, and this is where the baseball issue stops. I'll give you an example, yeah. Kevin. If you know the, there were there were stories about the Astros scouts being asked to uh, film opposing dugouts right. to try and get signs from the opposing dugouts. Okay, right. that's a gray area. You do that. There's nothing wrong with filming the opposing dugout. Now, you take that film and you transmit it to your replay room during that game. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. you've crossed the yeah, line. Yeah, the, the real-time issues are the problem for me, too. Uh, but what I want to say about uh, A.J. Hinch is that, all right, you, 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 and this is what a lot of people are certainly doing on my Twitter feed. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, what the, but Jeff Lunau this and the Rob Manfred that. Listen, I, I don't know about any conspiracy theories. I don't know what might have gone on. What I do know, what we do know without a, without a doubt is that Alex Cora was doing this, and A.J. Hinch didn't have the balls to stop him. 
And and that is the issue. We don't have to go any further than that. It stops right there. It doesn't stop, but we know that that person is guilty. And 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 I remember having this conversation once with our old pal Al Carter, uh, and we were talking going back to how the, come all of your pals are old? Well, because I'm old. Oh. But the but this goes back to the eighties. None of them are in business. When, when, when the, well, I still am. That's, that's a good thing. In the Southwest Conference, uh, and we were doing the stories about SMU and Bobby Collins, who at that time was as good a coach as there was in the Southwest Conference and maybe even the country. And Bobby Collins was a great coach. And and I was making the point to Al that I don't the, the cheating was going on at SMU before got, Bobby got there, and I think Bobby just went along with everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the best I could tell. Uh, and he and Al's point was, what's he going to do? How's he going to stop those people from cheating? You know, what's he? And I said, he goes to him and says, either you stop or I'm leaving. I said, had Bobby Collins done that, he'd still be coaching college football. Uh, but he sacrificed his career because he went along with it. And that's what, to me, A.J. Hinch has done. Had A.J. Hinch gone to Alex Corr and says, if you do this one more time, I'm firing you because I am the manager and you're the bench coach. If the GM wants to, to, to rehire him and say you can't do that, I can at least come out at some point that I fired your butt and then I am going to. I'm someone else is going to hire me now because I at least had some integrity and I stuck with. This. But you're talking about a very sticky subject in sports right now, which is principle. And uh, you know, it's all right. You're right, a hundred percent. But what what did the players think of AJ Hinch when that happened? What do they? They have to know he's destroying monitors, but he's not doing anything about his bench coach. Yeah. I mean, what does it say about everything? What does it say about Alex Cora? What does it say about Alex Cora that I am going to usurp your authority here? I, you're the manager, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to keep doing it. You know? I, I I agree completely with everything you're saying. Let me throw out two names. I just thought of this. Okay. Sean Payton, Greg Williams. Oh, yeah, absolutely, you know. Suspended for a year, both got you. Now, Peyton was different in that from Hinch in that he didn't come across saying, oh, I knew about it, I just turned the other way. Just a dope. Uh, And he's going back to the same team. But it's going to be different for Hinch. I mean, now that both of these guys are are out there uh, and don't have a landing spot, you know, and and – I, I kind of, you know, I was, I was thinking about it as, just, as y'all were debating it. What, what you're saying is like, you know, the the general manager establishes the culture in, in some way. I mean, at least if you could accommodate Hinch more in some way if an organization says, look, we're not going to allow this to happen. We're perfectly aware of it. But when you're the one establishing the culture that oversees that, then that's a little bit tougher sell unless the owner says, no, I'm doing it. And, you know, well, this I mean, and look, we can make excuses all we want, but I do think it also still gets back to the idea of where managers are in the hierarchy today and they are not terribly empowered. No. Um, When the GM is sending down lineups, when the GM is doing things like that, um, they're not terribly empowered. So there's there's going to be not nearly as much confidence in, in, in the decisions you make. And and you don't know what the line of communications are that Astros management seems to be exceptionally dysfunctional or do or was exceptionally dysfunctional. And I don't know who was communicating to Hugh. 
Who, I, I, what, what, I, the, what I want to know, know is who hired Alex Cora? Right. That's, mm-hmm. did, yeah. did, did Jeff hire him or did sure. or, or did uh, and, and what did every general him? manager yeah. would tell you at this point in time is it was a group decision, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Mm-hmm. The, I, I, you know the the old Southwest Conference and in analogy that I would make uh, is more of a, actually more of a Big Twelve because it's at it, it's Art Bryles, but mm-hmm. people can defend Art Bryles all they want. All the all of the cheating went on under Art Bryles. He had oversight. And Not you, cheating. It was it was scandal. criminality. Yeah. Um, you can't. You have oversight. You have a responsibility. It's clear to me that Jeff Luno doesn't understand that he had oversight over that. And mm-hmm. even if he's not a cheater, the fact that a GM knows every if he doesn't know what's going on in his clubhouse during the game, then shame on him. I, I just uh, going back to the the original question about guys getting jobs again. I just don't. AJ looks like a big weenie, you know. Now, oh, he does. There's no there, oh, there's yeah. no doubt about and, that. And so I, I don't know how anybody ever hires him as a manager again. In the he's big so leagues. weak right now. Yeah, and I mean, and, uh, and he's just always had that taint. Anyway, it'd be one thing if you thought going into this. Everybody respected AJ, but nobody was saying, "My this guy is one great manager." It looks you know, exceptional. It looks exceptionally wimpy, and in any conversation with a with a potential um employer he's going to have to explain why he didn't feel empowered enough to overtly right. say stop this crap but but on the other side of that i'm i'm just telling you teams will look at it like uh jeff didn't didn't know about this that's what the commissioner says you know whether you believe that or not you just say the commissioner didn't say there was anything the matter with him i don't think anybody in baseball believes that well, probably not. But I will say this. But people want to win. Uh, I, that's true. And, 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 I, and I think that— But you do establish a culture where you know whether something is, is okay to pursue or not pursue. You don't, have to, you don't have to sit there and explicitly sign off and say, go cheat. But you can, but you can in, in how you interact and, mm-hmm. and, and how you establish a culture in an office place, you can make it clear, like, you know, just don't let me know what's going on. But as long as you get the job done, sure, you you get the job done. However, you feel you need to get the job Absolutely done. Absolutely. Now that that message is empowering people to do whatever they want to do. Sure, it is. And it's hard for me to believe that that wasn't the overall message in 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 those offices. And and to say that you're not culpable, you may not have direct knowledge of it. But that's that's what you want. That's what's so insidious about that. You can set people off, and you can say. You can have true deniability, but you're also giving them the latitude to to engage in any sort of corporate espionage, espionage they consider appropriate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's let's move on with the. All right. So how does this impact the Rangers? I don't think it it, it has a measurable impact on the Rangers this year. Um, I, I do think the Astros' loss of four draft picks and and the the pool money that would go along with that potentially does impact them uh, significantly going forward. So that's pool uh, money on top of the $5 million fine, right? So. Well, yeah. Uh, well, yes. I mean, it's when you lose your first-round pick, you don't have that much money. To you, that that much money, money in the pool yeah. is, is removed from your ability to sign players. Sure. So uh, they're going to have very little money to work with in terms of signing players, and they're going to have to get everybody done basically at slot from the third round down. Um <clears throat> Well, you just lost it to me. The most, one of the most. I I think he's the most effective GM in baseball. I think he's he built an organization uh, 
pretty much from scratch. They they weren't very good, and and now they're they're really good, and uh, and you're and you've lost that now. Uh, I, I, and, and you lose the match. I think it'll. Have- I thought a great visual yesterday was Jim Crane sitting up there at a table, reading from note cards, flanked by nobody. Yeah, this is a team that is out there and is rudderless, and I do think it's going to impact them on the field. I do think having to to cobble together, even if they take Joe Espada, who by all accounts is a very qualified candidate to be manager, they're still going to go have to find a bench coach. Everybody's going to have to get used to Espada learning on the fly. They have no GM, no real assistant GM right now. Yeah, because they lost him too. This is a rudderless organization at the moment. Um, and, and so I think there could be some impact. But I don't think that the range. I think the Rangers have incrementally improved themselves, as I think you alluded to yesterday, uh, with the signings of, of Todd Frazier and the return of Robinson Trinos and obviously the pitching staff upgrades. And I still think that when it's all said and done, they will end up with Nick Castellanos. I think their lineup will be will be better. And I think Kevin, we we've talked. You talked about this with me the other night that you will be able to go around the field in 2020 and say that at least on paper, guys manning manning their positions, the, at least the five guys who will be manning new positions will all have greater wars uh, than the guys who manned their positions last year. And that's that's, yeah. that's incrementally uh, improving. But but here's, here's the thing. It's a very subtle thing. It, it helps the A's. This is who it helps. Yeah, so it's just what you said, though. It doesn't have to impact a lot. It's just that they won't dominate the West, I don't think, like they have. So, therefore, that gives a team from the West a better chance to be on the wild card. Uh, so I, I think well, a team from the West was a wild card last year, well, true. despite that. So. True, uh, e- even with that case. But even if you didn't believe that the the A's were going to be that good again, right? Uh, which I, I always have, you know, I think the A's have some really great parts. It's just always hard to believe in them when you just look at the when you look at the team. But no, they this is this is a team that didn't have to do much, and I think they're they're going to be primed to to go. They're going to push close to 100 wins next year. They won 97 last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Angels are. I think the West is going to be uh, more balanced, right? The Astros yeah. won the division by 10 games over a team that won 97 games last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won it by 21 games, I think, in 2017. It's not going to be as 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 drastic, and um, and I think long term this this hurts the Astros more. I think it's easier to say that. I think that uh, now you'll see, as 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 these guys certainly as their rotation gets older, what do they do? What kind of moves do they make? This is an organization that not only benefited from tanking, which obviously it did, but they made players better. They made pitchers better. Guys came to their organization and they became. If they were already stars, they became superstars. If they were superstars, they became supernovas. I mean, it was it was unbelievable what happened with this organization. All agreed, but I also am sitting here today, and I just texted somebody, and, and I said, you know, one of my takeaways now is gonna is gonna be how much of technology and analytics is real impact on the game, mm-hmm. and how much of it is right now that there's actually you know it's it's an Oz, and there's a guy sitting behind a green curtain with a trash can and, and a camera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the, 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 the analytics revolution that we've seen because all the teams that have been involved in the analytics revolution are the teams that you've heard whispered as being among the most advanced, and this makes sense, in sign stealing. Sure. The yeah. Astros, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Yankees, that whole group has all been rumored to be uh, among the most advanced in that front. So... Could Are they be, doing it by analytics? 
or are they doing it by cheating, or are they doing it by some combination? Well, or are you hearing that because there are people who are pushing back against that and turning those people in? Sure. So My, my question is, why are you texting while we're having a podcast? I, this was before the podcast. <laughs> That's a good point, David. Before All right. We're going to try to work in another little podcast here before we get done. So, uh, Do we want to pass judgment on the Rangers' moves of the last week? Are we going to do that? Do you want to? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I, I yeah, we we should because of Todd Frazier. That's a that's a big. Well, I, look, I, you we've talked about the catching situation. The Rangers had the worst catching war in all of baseball last year by a long it, margin. Improved by five war. Is that not correct? That's correct. I think they will over last year. If you took Mathis versus Chirinos, it's I think it's a, a four war turnaround. The overall position was minus three point five. I think Mathis was minus two point one, mm-hmm. and Chirinos was right at about two. So. That's a four-war turnaround. It doesn't necessarily mean four more wins on the field, but you get the point. It's a big difference between the the, the players there. I thought that, that letting Trinos go and not picking up that option for 2019 was a mistake in the first place. Um, they asked Jeff Mathis to do more than, than he was capable of, and so now they're going to go to camp, and, and I think they're going to face the decision of, do they walk away from Jeff Mathis at the end of, of spring training and say goodbye to that $3 million? Because I think that they owe it to themselves to find out long-term if, if Jose Trevino is a legitimate um, part-time catcher in the big leagues. Because how old is Jose now, 27? 26, I think. Yeah, it's too old. He's too old to be, um, be asking questions about at this point. And uh, as, as for Todd Frazier, I think that all he does is fill a need. A, a, it's not a sexy move. But it, it fills a necessary need. You had to get a body to play third base. He gives you the ability to play third base. He could play some first base if you do, by some chance, get a third baseman. Um, and if he did that and you signed Castellanos and you still were able to go out and get Nolan Arenado, then it potentially allows you to put Willie Calhoun in a deal for Nolan Arenado. So I think it was necessary. I don't think I expect Todd Frazier – People get excited about Anthony Rendon and they get excited about Nolan Arenado, but sometimes you've also got to incrementally improve your club. And, and getting Frazier to man third base, I think, gives you the necessary uh, in, incremental improvement and the ability that if you still have a, an outside shot at hitting a home run, you can do that. I think there was the, the thing about uh, Todd Frazier was that there was a lot, and, and I was one of these people, who felt like that Mitch Moustakas was the third best option at third base among free agents. Uh, and then there was a giant drop-off. To, to Todd Frazier. Todd Frazier was, was fourth, I think, in a lot of people's thinking. Uh, but I will say this. First of all, Mitch is left-handed. This lineup does not Mike Moustakis. Mike Moustakis. Mitch Moustakis. Who am I thinking of? Mitch Moreland. Mitch Moreland. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Mike Moustakis. Excuse me. The, the, I think this lineup does not need any more left-handed players. Uh, and so he was really not a viable option. He was not line. unless the Rangers were able to um, make other moves. Yes, you know, right. Uh, but by the time they traded Mazzara, uh, Mustakis was already off the board. He went off the board really quickly. And, and and I think that, you know, the balancing of the lineup was a two-phase approach. Phase one was actually getting rid of a left-handed hitter or two. Right. Phase two was you still had to find a right-handed hitter. You had to find a right-handed duck. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, they had done the first part in, in the move in the trade of Nazar, but they still had to go out and address the second part. 
But the yeah, as long as they get uh, Castellanos or someone else uh, to play first base, um, which and when you and I talked about that as well, not it's not the defensive position. Well, it never was a defensive position. That's the interesting thing about analytics in the history of baseball. Uh, if you didn't have a good first base and you just took an outfielder and stuck him there, even back then, people understood. It's an offensive position, and and you just put somebody there to catch the ball. You know, hopefully they'll catch the balls when they get thrown over there, and they don't they won't embarrass themselves. And you and you don't want so the flip side of all that is so for me it's like watch offense it. is more necessary there than good defenses. Absolutely. So you know, last year they 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 put several people out there at, at first base. I I thought it was it looked bad when Danny Santana played there. He was clearly uncomfortable. And and my thinking in that kind of situation is you don't want a guy to embarrass himself, and because you, you don't know that's going to affect him on the field. Danny apparently is a kind of a sensitive guy. That seems to be what happened to him in Minnesota. Anyway, I don't want to put him in a position where he feels bad and he's thinking about that at the play about the error he just made at first base. Uh, and whereas, especially when he looks so good in center field and the limited time he had out there, he looks so comfortable playing the position that why in the world wouldn't you just play him out there instead? And, and, and it is, in fact, a premium position, and he seems to play it pretty well. So, uh, having said all that, whether Nick Castellanos is going to – if he if they do, in fact, sign him, which I think at this point they have to, uh, frankly, because uh, it's not a matter of money anymore. How much money could he possibly ask for? Uh, you're, you're getting a third baseman for $5 million. Uh, and I think a pretty good deal on a third baseman for $5 million. Hey, no matter what it is, for one year, it's not a bad deal. Uh, so I think that they they have as as we and really I mean if if you it's it's three and a half million dollars for this year, mm-hmm. um, and if you choose to keep him for next year, uh, when you still may need a third baseman before Young or or, or Apostle are ready, uh, then it's then it goes to five seven five, and so it could be as little as three and a half for this year, um, and and still next year at five million bucks for for, for a third baseman. Not a bad deal. Not a bad deal at all. So, you know, whether he produces or not, we'll see. Uh, but I think the track record is there. He had a pretty good year last year, certainly a lot better year than anybody that played third base for the Rangers had. So these are these are big moves because in baseball, you just can't have easy outs in the lineup. And the Rangers had far too many easy outs in the lineup last year. There were too many guys. There were, there were big possibilities, big swings here. Either this guy's going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out, uh, and, and, and more likely he's going to strike out, Look, a lot if, more if, likely. If Frazier gives you the exact same season that he gave you last year offensively, he was a 770 OPS guy. Yeah. Uh, the Rangers' third base position was at 699 last year. Yeah, that's a huge uh, improvement. It's a big improvement. So, And he's just a professional third baseman. The other guys weren't. Yeah, you, you were playing other guys who were who would either who were not third basemen by nature. Who were, who were not, and, and you can tell that. And that's that unlike first base. Third base is a defensive position, and and when you go from a guy who is a Hall of Famer at third base to what they had last year, that is such a huge drop off. And it just and to me, you just inspiring more confidence in the, in your in your rotation and your pitchers when you have a, uh, a a more competent infield. Not only that, but now in the lineup as well, you can go. You could construct a lineup if they get Castellanos. You can construct a lineup where, in my estimation, the back to the last two guys are are Rugi and Elvis, and uh, and that's a pretty good lineup to to be able to go for one through nine and and have that kind. It's not there's not a lot of other than Joey uh, Gallo. There's not a lot of guys who oh my gosh this guy is a superstar. He's the only one in that group. Uh, but uh, there there are competent 
professional hitters in that lineup. And that should make them competitive. That should make the, the games fun for, for fans. And this, is, and this is what, frankly, this market deserves. What has been put out in the last couple of years has not been what this market deserves. And, and well, but it's clear that the Rangers were impacted by them cheating Astros. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It was all about the Astros. <laughs> yep. All right. So, all right, so uh, college football. All right, so we're going to go ahead. We, we, let's go ahead and just talk about it real quick. Do we miss it already? We, yeah. I do. Well, I'll tell you what, though. I was disappointed in the championship game. I, 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 told, my, I told my son yesterday. What you talking about? Before the game. No, I wanted to be more competitive. It was not competitive in the second half. It, it was not, but the I The first also, half was really good. But I also thought, I mean, I, I think my prediction online early, before the game started was 37-27. Yeah, I, said t- I, I just said LSU by 10. 10. Um, and, and so, I mean, I think the game played, the game was competitive in the first half. Uh, and I think that um, there were some moments in the second half where it still was a little bit competitive. But it played a little. kind of to form. This LSU team was truly special. It was truly special, but I'll say this. It's just like watching the Clemson-Ohio State game. Now listen, Ohio State's more talented than Clemson. Uh, they're better in the offensive and defensive lines. That is a better team. Clemson's offense is, Clemson's defense is awfully fast and awfully good. It's good, but they're not as good as Ohio State. The difference in that game was Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence was a superstar in that game, and he won that game for Clemson. He didn't come close against LSU. It, you know, they, they were trying to make the case early on. Kirk Herbstreit kept saying, well, he's, he's pressuring. He's getting a lot of pressure, and that's why his throws are off. No, he wasn't getting that much pressure. He's sailing the ball all over the place during that game. He just did not play near it. He, he did in the, for a while in the first half, for about a quarter and a half. Then all of a sudden, he just lost it. And, and if he had played anywhere close to the way he played against Ohio State, then it would have been a really good game. I think LSU still would have won because I think they're clearly the best team in the country. They, they've just got so much talent on that team, and they got Joe Burrow, who, uh, who looks like Macaulay Culkin from home alone, but he is a real quarterback. Yeah, David, what do you, th- what do you think about Burrow as an NFL quarterback? Look at that division now coming up. You're going to have him. Saw that tweet last night. You're him. Mayfield. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. And Big Ben. Yeah. yeah. Uh, It'll be fun. And as somebody said, that. I'm looking forward to Baker being the, the suckiest quarterback <laughs> in the AFC North. Um, he, I mean, he's just some – of, some of those throws that, that he makes are and, just and, – and, and deep and throws and deep just throws. on. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- these are not just dump downs or intermediate. I mean, these are these are go routes, and it's, they're just beautifully thrown balls. And there was that – I thought the – was it their first or second touchdown? I think it was their first touchdown where uh, it was about a 20-yard, 18, 20-yard pass to the end zone, right, right side of the end zone. And he was – I mean, that coverage was as good as you could get, and he just got one step of separation at the right. end, and it was just right there. It just dropped into him. I mean, there wasn't a large window for him to throw there. And what about, what about the touchdown pass to Moss? Where, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, he literally – like drop the dime on him because the guy did not have to move an inch. Mm-hmm. He was he was on the run. Uh, I just thought I, I, I think they made it. There was a the one the one of the throws to Moss where uh, they were making the point that Moss the route was going to take him to the back corner of the end zone and he stopped and settled. He normally instead. did he settled yeah. But here was the thing. Okay, so he settled. So Moss makes that decision. Now I have to believe that that of course that's the deal. You you go you sure. you find the soft spot in the zone. But here's the thing. 
He turned around. He stopped and turned around and then put his hands up and the ball was right there. The ball yeah. was already coming before he turned around. Yeah. I, it, so and I mean we've thing. said not one word about Burrow's ability to run. And yeah. he's 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 We're still standing on the He's an time. opportunistic yeah, he is. runner. He's a little bit like uh, uh, Fitzgerald with Miami. He he, he kind of he has that same kind of. He's like, how in the world is this guy getting away with this? But he is. He's not like, uh, you know. That's what I had the discussion with with my sons last night watching the game. Is that if Trevor Lawrence was coming out right now, and I'm telling you, I I think Cincinnati would take Trevor Lawrence uh, mm-hmm. over over uh, Joe Burrow just because he's six six. He's big. They he, take. They, you think they take him based on the physical? Oh, the, the yeah, absolutely. You look at it. This is like this is a big guy who's just tapping into his potential, and, and because now who's got the higher ceiling? This is a little bit like the Peyton Manning Ryan Leaf discussion when they came out. Remember, everybody thought that Peyton Manning he's already maxed out. This is who he is. There was a big split in the NFL over yeah, those two guys. You're getting a court. You're getting a great quarterback. He's, I mean, you're a really good quarterback. I don't think people really thought Peyton was going to be great. I think they just thought he's really good, and he, but he's really close to his ceiling. Whereas Ryan Leaf, he's this big, huge guy, and man, mm-hmm. the ceiling on him is unbelievable. You got to go with Ryan Leaf, and I, and that's what they did. So I, I'm not, and I think I'm, I'm not saying in any shape or form that Trevor Lawrence is Ryan Leaf. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a superstar, I think, in the NFL. I, I, and I think that Joe Burrow is going to be a would superstar. You like, would you like to have to make that choice? As a, yeah, if, if absolutely. You were, if, you were draft, yeah. if you were a draft guy, would you like to have to choose Lawrence versus Yeah, I'd like to be number two. Yeah. Well, and it, But another thing impressed about Burrow last night, because Clemson's defensive scheme early gave them trouble. Oh, Coming yeah. up the middle, yeah. and, and, and the pressure was all up the middle. Flushing him out, um, but for a, for a young quarterback not to be rattled by that, and he, then to play the way he did as the game went along, and to be able to spot what they're—I mean, look—the coaches can tell you, look, this is what they're doing. Do this, but for a guy that age in that position who hasn't faced that sort of pressure a lot this year, I mean, to just to. I mean, just to pick it up yeah. as the game was unwinding and yeah, just but, I mean, getting those, better as the game went along. Just, I think both those guys don't look rattled. and I no. would, But I'd also say it's it's easy to not look sure. rattled when you're 14-0, right? Sure. Um, but I, they're clearly the two best quarterbacks in college football. Uh, and, and clearly, yeah. in my mind, I, well, I, I'd like to say they're the two best quarterbacks the two best equipped pro quarterbacks we've seen going into the draft in, in several years. I don't want to take anything away from Lamar Jackson. Um, Connor Murray did a pretty good job for Arizona this year. He did. He did a pretty good job. Yeah. I mean, people were impressed that that all worked out pretty well for, for Arizona, I think. And on a pretty bad team on a bad team. So I, I just different skill sets. If you look at Kyler, you know, well, you're going to say the guy. Well, these five, two guys have the size. Yeah, he's he's five nine. That's not an issue. You know, that's so the, no, that that's yeah. your issue there. You're, you're worried about there with Joe Burrow. You're not worried about the size. You're yeah. It, from uh, from a from a purely uh, set of tangibles and what what we're getting here, people aren't going to argue about this. Now, you know, uh, Joe looks like maybe he could lift a few weights and that would be okay. Uh, wow, <laughs> but not a, it, it's not. He looks like a frat boy. This is on the yeah. I'm the I'm the quarterback on our intramural team here, and that's what he looks like. Because uh, here's a guy. Now listen, this is the guy who going into this season was not even expected to be drafted. You know, they, they thought he was going to be a free agent. 
And he goes from that to one of the all-time great college quarterbacks. So this was the most prolific season ever for a college Absolutely. This was my weird stat of the night, right? We I think we we all touted this after the, during the Oklahoma game that he had Burrow had at that point in time more uh touchdown passes in the Mercedes-Benz than Matt Ryan did. Yeah. Then I went back last night after his was it five touchdowns last night or it was five, five. right? So he had 16 touchdown passes in NFC South stadiums last year, which is more than the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> did. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, that's a that the, that whole LSU team is such a great story because because of uh, uh, coach, you know, Coach O. I yeah, mean, I yeah. here's a guy with Ole Miss was a disaster, mm-hmm. and then he got screwed at USC. He should have gotten the job yeah. as uh, as the, the permanent head coach after serving as interim coach. Yeah, but uh, you know, things happen for a reason. He's the perfect fit for LSU. Oh, he's with perfect for LSU. Yeah. It's uh, like it's like something out of a bad TV movie. It, it's like something out of a John Ed Bradley novel, and I'm sure that's what it's going to end up yeah. being someday. But <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it was it was a great story. Uh, I, I'm happy for LSU because I, I clearly thought that they were the best team going into the playoffs. And I think if people want to sit here and argue about who should have been the fourth team, whether it's Oklahoma or Oregon, waste all the time in the world that you want on this. Once again, the playoff system, I think, ended up prevent, providing you with a true national champion. Yeah. And for right. all its flaws, it worked. I, did, I didn't listen to, to Dab. I want to say one last thing about that. You know, Dabo complained and complained and complained. Oh, we don't get the respect. We don't get the respect, everybody. It's like, you know, we're in the top two in the country all year long. And going off at halftime, he looked beaten. When they were when they were interviewing him before he went into the locker room, he looked like a guy who knew there's no way we're going to beat these guys. And Coach O was half. talking about Jumbo, Gumbo and Jambalaya. <laughs> Go Tigers! <laughs> all right, that'll do it. It's 11-11. Uh, so long, everybody. We'll see you next week. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.